0: Father, thank you for your love. Jesus, uh, thank you for your example and leaving us the Holy Spirit to be with us. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to be here amongst us to open our minds and hearts to what you have for us. And so would you please use your servant, uh, not necessarily what is coming out of my mouth, even though that may be used, but minister to people's hearts in your dynamic way. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in our Holy Spirit series, and so today we're going to take a look at the Holy Spirit molding, shaping, conforming followers of Jesus into the image of Jesus Christ. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. God places these ministries in his church to build up his church, and we don't all have the same gifts. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 26 through 30, If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? The questions in the last two verses are all rhetorical questions. We're not given the same gifts. And the gifts we are given are to build up the body of Christ. And this is what we're going to look at today. The Holy Spirit spiritually maturing the church and the individuals in the church for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. Now how many Christians have you met have plateaued or regressed in their faith in Jesus? And maybe you're one of them and you felt like you've hit a wall or, or you've arrived at a spiritual walk where it's become dull and dry and maybe you've even been heading into a path of darkness away from God. The author of Hebrews addressed this in Hebrews chapter 5 verses 11 through 14. Now, milk is a wonderful food for babies. But something more than milk is needed for maturing bodies. To develop physically, the diet needs to change, and the same is for spiritual development. New Christians start with spiritual milk, which is appropriate for newer Christians. But there is a time when spiritual development requires more than spiritual milk. And that spiritual maturity happens when we walk in the Spirit. Now, looking back to Ephesians chapter 4, let's continue there and look at verse 13. And Paul wrote, Until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. Full maturity. And how do we know we've reached this full, mature state? And we find that at the end of verse 13. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Jesus is your measure of reaching full maturity we all started out as newborns and it's proper for newborns to be placed in the ergo and to be fed milk and to have their diaper changed and there's something seriously wrong when that baby turns 30 and still needs mommy to make lunch and pay their bills and do their laundry oh yeah and don't forget the binky right so, you start to think, where is the maturity? Where's the development of that person? In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God said, Let us make man in our image and in our likeness. The Trinity, right? Our. And one of the members of the Trinity is the Holy Spirit. And so, when He spoke of making man in our image, that included the spiritual aspects of God and that characteristic was created to be in us now how else are we made in the trinity's image or likeness well we have the ability to love right to give love to receive love we want righteousness and we want justice and we have the capacity to choose to make choices so since we have this image and since we have this likeness then what's the difference between us and god There's one huge one. Sin. We fell from his image and his likeness. Not completely. Because we still have the characteristics of God. But sin ruined things how they ought to be. Righteousness. That's the definition of righteousness. How things ought to be. And sin allowed for godless characteristics to creep into us like unkindness or ruthlessness or bitterness resentment selfishness indifference and those are not the characteristics God intended for us to possess it is sin that has resulted in us being in that fallen state Paul described the people in their fallen state in Romans chapter 1 verses 29 through 32 We are sinful. We are fallen. And how miserable the world will remain if we don't turn to God. Paul wrote to his disciple Timothy this in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1-5. through 5, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, Heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Pretty good description of our world. And how does Paul end verse 5? Avoid such people. See, those are the characteristics of fallen people, which we all are. But that's not what God intended for us. What was God's intention? How did God intend us to be? Who did God intend us to be like? Jesus. If you ever want to see God's intent, you look at Jesus. That's how we are going to be. That's how we are to be. That's how we are to live. Jesus is the image and the likeness of God. Who did God intend us to be like? Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John chapter 14, verse 9, Whoever has seen me, Jesus, has seen the Father. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, The image of God. Want to see what God intended in the creation of people? Look at Jesus. Who is the image of God? Do we truly realize how far we've fallen from what God intended? The lives we are living are not what God intended. We have glimpses in that because we have love. We have the capacity to choose. We have the ability to seek righteousness, but we are so far from how He initially created it to be. God desires to restore us to righteousness, how things ought to be, to pick us up from our fallen state of sin and to fully restore us into His image, yet we live so much in our flesh rather than living by the Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 14. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. The Apostle Paul wrote a lot about living in the flesh and living by the Spirit. And rather than me giving you a bunch of different stories and illustrations, I want to use the Bible to show these things. So there's going to be a lot of cross-referencing. Romans chapter 13, verse 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 25. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Colossians chapter 3 verses 5 through 10. Put to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. God desires for us to put off our old self, which has been corrupted because of sin, and to put on the new self, and the new self is possible because of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 17 For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who might live no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation." The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. John 3.3, Jesus said, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We need to be reborn. Born again into a new person, putting off the old self and putting on the new self by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we are given this chance by God to be new creations, To be ruled by the Spirit and not to be ruled by our flesh. To crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. Jesus is the only way to live how things ought to be. He is the way for that to happen. He is the perfect example of what life looks like. But we have struggles, don't we? We struggle. Romans chapter 7 tells us this. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do good that I want, but the evil I do want is what I keep on doing. It's verses 18 and 19, Romans 7. And so we have this continual struggle in our flesh. We have this desire to do what is right, and we see the perfect example of righteousness in Jesus, but we don't have the ability to carry that out. Enter the Holy Spirit. John 14, verse 16, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. We are to live life after the spirit and as the spirit indwells us conforming us into the image of jesus and doing what we can't do on our own he is the one doing the work empowering us to live as god desires us to live restoring us into a more complete image of god which can't be done in our flesh and it can't be done by ourselves but we have this humongous problem our flesh is terribly weak and it's terribly sinful And even though we love Jesus and we want to be more like him and we desire to be conformed into his image, we are so weak. Which makes it extremely frustrating because we want to be like Jesus and we see what is possible, but we can't. So what do we do? Well, let's take a look at the Old Testament to trace the answer. In the book of Exodus, which we're going to take a look at next month, Moses led the children out of Egypt into Israel and trekked through the wilderness to the Promised Land. Now that historically happened, but I want us to take a look at it allegorically to see what the parallels are as followers of Jesus and to look at our own lives. So in Exodus chapter 12, before Moses then guided them out of repression, out of slavery, there was the Passover. And the children of Israel were saved by the blood of a sacrificial lamb. That blood was put on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the house so that judgment would pass over that house. That blood covered them. That sacrificial lamb's blood covered them. And the children came out of bondage. Now for us, we have been covered and saved by the blood of the lamb, Jesus. And then we were set free from bondage, sin. And upon the children of Israel's freedom from bondage, they came upon the Red Sea and they crossed the Red Sea. They went into it and they came out of it. For us, we are freed from sin. And then we come upon our Red Sea, which is a symbol of baptism. So then the children of Israel made their way through the wilderness towards the promised land. But then what happened? In Numbers 13, Moses sent out scouts to spy the land. And they all came back fearful and doubtful and faithless except for two, Joshua and Caleb. Then the people followed the majority and they wanted to head back to Egypt because they said, hey, those ten guys, they can't be wrong. They wanted to head back to bondage, back to slavery, back to sin. And because of their disobedience and their faithlessness, their lack of trust in God, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years so that the generation of the faithless, those disobedient people, they died without entering into the promised land. So after 40 years, the faithless generation died and the remaining group of the Israelites, they came upon the Jordan River and they crossed it. Now what is that a picture of? You ever get tired of wandering you ever get fed up with being faithless and fighting against God and being less than who God created you to be? Here it is. You're Jordan. And you surrender. And you cross it. And you die to your old self. You put your flesh upon the cross and you seek to live in the power of the Spirit rather than in the flesh. And so the children of Israel crossing the Jordan River entered the promised land and like us, we cross the threshold of living in the flesh and you cross into the promised land of living in the Spirit. Now what happened in the wilderness with the children of Israel? Struggles, conflict, fighting, pain, suffering. And it's much, much like us. We go through all these battles and these pains and these struggles before we came to Jesus. And then after we come to Jesus in this life, do you expect that the battles are done? (laughs) They are not. Actually, if you look at Israel, after they crossed the Jordan, did the battle stop? It got worse. And so we learn from our struggles and we experience them before Jesus was in our life. But then after we cross this allegorical Jordan, while we're living in the life of the Spirit, we still face those problems. The only difference is that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are with you. And they're leading you. And He's conforming us into His image. And He does for us what we can't do for ourselves. But it doesn't mean that your problems go away. And we're so much like the Israelites. God showed them what areas to conquer next. And they were often victorious, right? Jericho, Ai, Bethel, you know, all these places. But there were still a lot of places that they didn't conquer. And it's just like us, we have these victories in our life. But there are so many other areas in our life that we have not conquered. And if you don't believe it, just ask your spouse, they'll let you know. And there are parts of us that we've completely surrendered to the Holy Spirit and we are victorious over those things. But there are areas that we're not, that we're failing. And just when we're thinking, hey, we're in a really good place. I've arrived. The Holy Spirit just kind of shows you that you haven't. Remember this area in your life? And oftentimes he uses our spouses or our children to point that out. And how often do we want to over? look those types of things and we don't want to embrace community and we don't want to embrace God to work on those things because we want to tackle those sin issues or those struggles by ourselves and then come out on the other end and say like, oh look, I'm victorious, I got delivered, ha ha ha. (laughs) It's not planned that way. We don't overcome sin that way. We overcome sin in community. We overcome sin with the Holy Spirit in us. So how about submitting to Him? Rather than continually submitting to your flesh and your pride, thinking you're going to overcome something on your own. And sometimes it takes a completely broken spirit in order to surrender some part that has such a stronghold in our lives, that we're holding on to it so strong. And you know, this setup that God has made, it's a good setup, because it prevents us from arrogance. It prevents us from pride. It prevents us from boastfulness. All the glory, all the praise, all the honor, all of it goes to God since it's God who did it. And part of the struggles is to see more clearly who we really are and how weak we truly are. And when we are delivered from them, when we are victorious over them, we realize we can't boast or we can't be prideful about overcoming our weakness because he is the one that delivered us. Paul addressed this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and I want to read the whole chapter because this is so meaningful. So try to listen in at what Paul wrote. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendations to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you... Show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory." "'Indeed, in this case, what once had glory "'has come to have no glory at all, "'because of the glory that surpasses it. "'For if what was being brought to an end "'came with glory, much more will what is permanent "'have glory. "'Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, "'not like Moses, or who would put a veil over his face "'so that the Israelites might not gaze "'at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. "'But their minds were hardened.' And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Verse 18 is crucial. We all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord. So in worshiping the Lord, the Spirit of God reveals the glory of God. We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So as we behold the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Glory to glory. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is that of transformation from one degree of glory to another as he is conforming us into the image of Christ. God has given us laws to live by to show us the type of person we ought to be. And before sin, before the fall of man, Adam and Eve had this rich fellowship, this deep relationship with God, how things ought to be. Something that our spirit deeply desires, but there's this flesh that is constantly battling our spirit so that even when I want to live according to the law, I struggle with it and I constantly break it. And when I do right, I still can't. So how can I possibly keep the law? I can't. I cannot. And that's my problem. And that is your problem, is that we can't. And we need the power of the Holy Spirit because there's no way for us to do it on our own. And so enter Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. God did what the law couldn't do. And there's nothing wrong with the law. The law is good. The law is right. The law is just. It is holy. But the problem with the law is that I can't keep it. That's the problem. I can't keep the thing. I don't have the ability. I don't have the power to keep it. God does. The Holy Spirit does. And in my weakness, He is strong. And even though I'm so weak and the law condemns me to death, and we have an accuser who can prove our guilt, greater is He who is in me than he who is in the world. The law, even though it is good, doesn't make us righteous. And in fact, it condemns us. It condemns because our flesh is weak. So God did what the law couldn't do. Verse 3, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh. And then Jesus, God's Son, sent us another helper, the Holy Spirit. And through the Spirit he gave us the power to live a victorious life over the flesh. And we've been given this gift to receive power through the Holy Spirit to live life how God intended us to live. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, He transforms us into the image of Jesus. Now has anyone arrived to what God intended them to be? No. Right? No. But well, thank God you and I aren't the same people we used to be, right? And that we've matured following Jesus, that the Holy Spirit continues to change us, transform us, empower us into the image of Jesus. And if that does not describe you, where you haven't noticed the spiritual maturity and growth, take notice. If you notice that you are actually further away from God than where you used to be, that's not a good place. That's not a good place. And none of us have arrived at a place where God intends us to be. But the question to ask ourselves is whether we are closer to where God intended us to be today than any other time in our past. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God is faithful to his children. And it's crucial for us to submit to the Holy Spirit, to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and to be open for what the Holy Spirit has for us to receive his power. And we need the Holy Spirit's power to put to death the deeds of the body and to transform us into the image of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for how you've designed things, how you've created things to be. Thank you, Lord, that we have the ability to have some of the likeness of you and that we can give and receive love, that we can make wise choices, that we can choose, that we desire righteousness and justice. But, Lord, we are so far from you. And So I ask God for your power to continue to move us in the direction of spiritual maturity. We can only do it through you. In Jesus' name, amen.